0: We can make a difference.
1: It is strange to think I haven't seen you since a month. I have seen the new moon, but not you. I have seen sunsets and sunrises, but nothing of your beautiful face. The pieces of my broken heart are so small that they could be passed through the eye of a needle. I miss you like the sun misses the flower, like the sun misses the flower in the depths of winter. Instead of beauty to direct its light to, the heart hardens like the frozen world your absence has banished me to. I next compete in the city of Paris. I will find it empty and in the winter if you are not there. Hope guides me. That is what gets me through the day and the night. The hope that after you're gone from my sight, it will not be the last time that I look upon you. Heath. In a
0: world with movies. Need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. job.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 44, A Night's Tale. I hope you're all staying safe and well uh, during these ridiculously crazy times. Um, And most importantly, still social distancing, despite some lockdown relaxation um, that seems to be going on right now. um, It's still important to stay away from people. And as a solo podcaster, I find that very easy. So, uh, So it's fairly easy for me doing what i do uh but i appreciate it's not easy for everyone if you're new to verbal diorama welcome to my podcast it's lovely to have you here thank you for downloading and subscribing and listening to me rattle on about movies um the last episode was a league of their own and it got such a wonderful reception um i was genuinely quite emotional about it um I think for me being able to highlight and pay tribute to a group of such incredible women um it was just a genuine delight for me to talk about that movie and for people to just love that movie and 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 really kind of respond well to the episode um and and honestly if you listened um and you enjoyed it then that is that is why I'm here that is what I do what I do every week so Um, So thank you for that. Um, And I'm going to kind of rattle on quite quickly, really, because essentially I'm kind of going from one sports movie to another, because A Knight's Tale is essentially a movie about sport. It's obviously starring the late Heath Ledger. Um, And I realised that this movie in particular is in no way his greatest role. And I'm not featuring it because I think it's the greatest role that he ever portrayed. Um, It's also not the role that everyone immediately kind of points to as being in any way his most iconic. And to be honest, that's kind of the reason I wanted to talk about it, because it's just a fun, sweet movie. Um, And it's the way I like to remember Heath Ledger. And that's the smile and the cheekiness and the flirting um you know a guy who's a little bit scrappy um but ultimately he's just been dealt a tough life and wants to work hard to change it and everyone likes <laughs> everyone likes uh that sort of guy um and i also mentioned uh, a couple of times that i also love him in 10 things I Heard about you um that is also a movie that is going to be featured on this podcast for definite um, because I also love Heath Ledger in that movie as well um, and I love A Knight's Tale like genuinely um, and that's despite its issues and anachronisms and it's probably in spite of them actually because it is a flawed movie but it's also just really fun um, so without much ado as Jeffrey Chaucer would say get ready to stomp stomp clap
0: A man can do anything. We could do this. In one month, we could be on our way to glory and riches none of us ever dreamed of. You can't even joust. I think he's getting worse. He is getting worse. I won't spend the rest of my life as nothing. You have to be of noble birth to compete. So we lie. My lords. My ladies. privilege nay the pleasure of introducing to you a knight sired by knights william thatcher didn't make the rules he was born i've waited my whole life for this moment to break them yes thank you i'll be here all week well that was different and you are ulrich von lichtenstein from Gelderland. sir ulrich von lichtenstein I would have him win my heart. You're my favorite knight. He's won four tournaments in a row on a horse. That man is unbeatable. You're just a silly boy
1: with a horse and a stick. It's called a
0: lance. Hello. If the nobles find out who you are, they'll be the devil to pay. And pray that they don't. Ulrich von Lichtenstein is not who he appears to be. They're going to arrest you. A dozen royal guards. I love you. There is nothing else to do. Run, and I will run with you. I will not run! I'm a knight. I'm here to compete. Yeah! Let's dance, you and I. as i can call you my own
1: after the untimely death of sir ector in the middle of a match his peasant squire william thatcher dons the dead knight's armor and with the help of his two friends completes the jousting match and wins the tournament as the trio leave and head home will convince his fellow squires roland and watt that he can change his stars by entering other jousting tournaments and pretending to be a real knight Geoffrey Chaucer, an unknown writer who they meet along the road, agrees to forge Will's papers of nobility as Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein and becomes his herald. This starts them on a journey filled with deception, peril, love and failure as Will meets the beautiful Lady Jocelyn and faces a most daunting jousting opponent who forces Will to come to grips with his humble beginnings. So, uh, the cast for this movie, obviously, as I've mentioned, Heath Ledger... Um, I'm going to talk specifically about Heath Ledger a little bit later on in the episode because I have some things that I wish to say about Heath Ledger Um, Heath Ledger is William Thatcher aka Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein or as in this movie Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein Uh, (laughs) Rufus Sewell as Count Adamar, Shannon Sossamon as Jocelyn Paul Bettany as Geoffrey Chaucer Laura Fraser as Kate, Mark Addy as Roland, Alan Tudyk as Watt, James Purefoy as Colville and the uh, first appearance actually for Berenice Bejo as Christiana, you may remember her from The Artist. Uh, a Knight's Tale was written, produced and directed by Brian Helgeland. It's very, 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 very loosely based on The Knight's Tale by Geoffrey Chaucer. I mean, we're talking literal strings here. There's there's not much of a connection. Uh, Brian Helgeland was best known for his screenplay for LA Confidential, which won him an Academy Award for screenwriting in 1998. He also won the Razzie Award in the same year for screenwriting for The Postman. Um, and he's one of only very few people who's received and accepted Oscars and Razzies in the same year. He would go on to write Mystic River, Man on Fire, 2010's Robin Hood which I really don't like and Legend um, and A Knight's Tale uh, ended up being released on my birthday here in the UK in 2001. Getting this movie off the ground writer producer director Brian Helgeland obviously had previous on writing a period story from the point of LA Confidential. Obviously this was going to be something completely new, Uh, LA Confidential was set in the 50s, this is obviously going all the way back to the 13th century um, just from a sheer scale and period setting point of view it was going to be a huge and costly production um, and one of the producers Todd Black um, he was very pressured by the idea of this movie um, but Brian Helgeland really was the glue that kept everything together he assuaged fears from fellow producers he did the research on locations and characters. Ultimately, he wanted to create a period piece that stayed fair to the period, but could also be relatable to modern audiences, to have the Middle Ages feel like any other period of time by linking the experiences of sport and of people who go to see sport. Um, He felt that a lot of period movies often pushed away moviegoers by being bogged down in those period accuracies, you know like costumes and obscure speech and authentic in inverted commas music and he felt like there needed to be some semblance of relatability between the audience and the movie they were going to see um i mean i'm going to point it out several times during this episode but this movie was never meant to be a historically accurate piece of cinema Very important that we remember that. It's meant to take liberties with the very little source material that it has. And I'm going to go on to what it does right with factual medieval stuff later. It was this that created the anachronistic feel of a knight's tale by making the period setting feel as authentic as possible. Um, It included some well-known historical figures such as Geoffrey Chaucer, but it also kept the costuming quite period- And obviously introduced modern music, which is exactly the sort of music that would play at a modern sports venue during the biggest game of the season. Um, Among some of the professionals hired to realise the movie that usually don't get hired in Hollywood include a lance master, armourers, horse masters, medieval weapons handlers, textile painters, leather workers, exotic animal handlers, medieval banquet creators, a blacksmith advisor and multilingual interpreters. Because most of the background extras were Czech um, and only spoke Czech. This movie was filmed in the Czech Republic. Um, And a lot of the times, the extras didn't actually understand what the actors were saying. And they had to be directed specifically by these interpreters to react or cheer or boo as appropriate. Um, Heath Ledger, going to casting, I've kind of gone a bit forward and backwards, sorry. Heath Ledger, who would shot a few movies to that point, including aforementioned 10 Things I Hate About You and also The Patriot with Mel Gibson he was offered the role based on Brian Helgeland seeing him in The Patriot and he wanted like a fresh-faced fearless young actor for William that could embody the dreams of a pauper as well as reach the heights of an ennobled knight um, they wanted a similarly fresh-faced new star for the role of Jocelyn and casting director Francine Maisler was invited to Gwyneth Paltrow's birthday party and at Gwyneth Paltrow's birthday party, she found their Jocelyn because Shannon Sossamon was the DJ at the party. Uh, Sossamon was invited to audition. She actually ended up auditioning against established stars like Kate Hudson, but they really liked Shannon Sossamon and she got the part. Paul Bettany, the story about him getting the part was quite interesting because... He originally auditioned for a part in another of Brian Helgeland's movies, a movie called The Order, which came out in 2003. Um, And what happened was Brian Helgeland was going to do The Order first, before A Knight's Tale, um, but he ended up doing A Knight's Tale first. Um, So The Order, interestingly, also included Heath Ledger, Shannon Sossamon, and Mark Addy. I've not seen it. I don't know if it's any good. but, um, But essentially, Paul Bettany auditioned for The Order, Um, and didn't get the part but Brian Helgeland was impressed with his audition and as A Knight's Tale was shunted up his schedule Helgeland actually wrote the part of Geoffrey Chaucer specifically for Paul Bettany based on that audition Um, and he insisted uh, against advice from other producers to hire Paul Bettany Um, and obviously Paul Bettany this was kind of his first big Hollywood project, Um, it kind of created a bit of a a domino effect for Paul Bettany because his talent was then recognised by everyone else. Um, That audition tape ended up being seen by Ron Howard. Um, Ron Howard then cast Paul Bettany in A Beautiful Mind, um, by which Paul Bettany then met his future wife, Jennifer Connolly. So him getting the part in A Knight's Tale was very fortuitous for him um because who wouldn't want to end up married to jennifer connelly um (laughs) so the idea was to shoot the movie at barandoff studios in prague and they wanted to keep the consistent ancient feel and obviously prague is a beautiful city um it's got some very ancient buildings um and so they decided to film it in prague and the assembled cast were given a month before filming started to bond um and The cast have kind of always said in interviews that that was something that really helped them to really get to know each other and really for that camaraderie to come through on screen. Um, They were supposed to use the time to rehearse, uh, but mostly just ended up getting drunk and partying together. Um, Paul Bettany actually stated, uh, and I quote, uh, that they truly did drink a mesmerising amount of alcohol. So so that's why on screen, everyone looks like they're having such a great time because they genuinely did in real life. Um, So a giant set was built at Barandov Studios, um, so it included settings for medieval London, Rouen, and uh, one of the three jousting fields that were seen in the movie. Um, They also utilised an island on the Vitalva River in the Czech Republic to create a massive banquet hall, Um, plus they used that for the interior portions of the French cathedrals at Notre Dame and Rouen. Another thing the Czech Republic had were clad rube horses. Uh, they're a native breed to the country and one of the rarest horse breeds in the world. Uh, they are originally used to pull carriages. Um, they're seen as very strong, sturdy and calm animals. Um, obviously, any scene using live animals is strictly monitored by the American Humane Association. Um, and the horses used in the jousting scenes were specifically trained falling and rearing horses um and they are specifically trained horses that are trained to fall correctly so as not to be injured um they do it with um padding on the ground it's all very intricate it's all highly choreographed which you think would be quite difficult using animals um but obviously these horses are incredibly well trained um and it looks like they are genuinely falling and hurting themselves um it Goes without saying that one horse did sustain a minor cut during filming, uh, but otherwise no animals were actually harmed during the filming of the movie, uh, which is always nice to know. The armour in the movie, uh, which is worn by the knights, but specifically by Heath Ledger, it looks metal, but it was actually plastic, as was the armour for the horses, because they wanted, obviously, the horses to not be wearing heavy armour. Uh, the jousting lances were made of wood and it was hollowed out and filled with linguini um, to make them light enough to lift. And they also wanted them to shatter spectacularly upon impact without injuring the stunt people. Um, again, all of the stunts were done by stunt people, uh, much to the chagrin of the cast, especially Heath Ledger, because he wanted to do some of his own stunts, but he was refused permission to do so because jousting is quite a dangerous sport. Uh, all of the jousting in the movie is real jousting. It's not faked. There's no camera angles used. It is all proper jousting with stuntmen using blunted lances and lots of padding. They really wanted to make the jousting look as authentic as possible. And to be honest, I think they do quite a good job in this movie of making the jousting look reasonably terrifying. <laughs> um So the shoot in Prague, with the whole cast and two units shooting simultaneously, lasted for more than four months and everyone's daily schedule was intense. But thanks to the friendships built up by the cast, it was enjoyable and pretty much every single interview that I've read online from the cast look back on the filming of A Night's Tale incredibly fondly. Um, Heath Ledger even met and started dating Heather Graham. She was also shooting a movie in Prague. Uh, She was shooting the movie From Hell at Barisov Studios at the same time. Um, Their relationship didn't last, um, but they both talked fondly of each other afterwards, so clearly it was an amicable breakup. Um, So the marketing of the movie uh, is quite interesting because when the movie was actually ready to come out in 2001, um, the decision was taken to, rather than focus on the ensemble cast and the core group, Because this is an ensemble movie. Um, It's very much a team movie. Um, And Heath Ledger felt very much the same as I do, that it's an ensemble movie. But the decision was made to have Heath Ledger front and centre of the marketing. Um, And that's something that he found very uncomfortable. Um, And he really struggled to deal with being the focus of this marketing. Um, You know, he was a young guy. He was 21 years old. He had done a couple of roles Um, But this was really seen as his breakout role, his starring role. Um, And he basically said, when asked, that the story wasn't just about him. It wasn't about one night, but it was about the group of people that this night surrounds himself with. Um, And he felt the decision to use his face on the marketing, along with the slogan, he will rock you, um, could either make or break his fledgling Hollywood career. Um, And Columbia Pictures seem to have taken their advertising idea from a movie that came out in 1996, um, because that also made a teen heartthrob out of its young, attractive male lead. Um, And there's a lot of links between A Knight's Tale and Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, Um, both are classic period stories featuring anachronistic changes, obviously, namely contemporary music. Uh, Both were targeted at younger cinema goers um, and specifically, even though A Knight's Tale is more of a sporting movie and they did want to aim that towards male audiences, the fact that they put Heath Ledger front and centre was probably to do with the fact they wanted a Leonardo DiCaprio effect Uh, because the buzz of surrounding Leonardo DiCaprio in 1996 was akin to fever pitch and I remember because I was one of those Girls who would wait in line at shop for ages just to get a poster of Leonardo DiCaprio as Romeo, because he was every young girl's dream. Well, he was he was my dream in 1996. But and obviously Columbia wanted to emulate that. Um, they admitted that A Night's Tale was one of their summer temple movies. It was their summer temple movie along with America's Sweethearts. Uh, which I actually haven't seen since 2001. Um, And Jeff Blake, the studio's president of worldwide marketing and distribution, saw the image of Heath Ledger's portrait adorned with armour. And he actually wasn't convinced that it was the right way to go. Um, But ultimately, that was the way that they went. Um, And I mean, it's Heath Ledger. It's Heath, Heath Ledger's face on a poster. It's pretty special. The marketing kind of highlighted different factions of the movie to entice different audiences. It highlighted the romance and Heath Ledger's gorgeous face to entice the female market and the action and sporting events to appeal to a male audience. Um, It goes without saying as well that A Knight's Tale is an original idea. And even then, that was a rarity in 2001. So this is not a sequel, a prequel, a remake or anything like that. It is an original idea. So going forwards we need to bear that in mind um, to be fair I mean, I'm going to talk about financials in a little bit but I don't think anyone expected it to go up against The Mummy Returns uh, because The Mummy Returns which is the sequel to the greatest movie ever made The Mummy from 1999 that came out the week before A Night's Tale so I'm just going to leave you to kind of chew on that a little bit because I think you know where I'm going to go <laughs> so The movie's title is based off The Knight's Tale, which is the first chapter of The Canterbury Tales by the real Geoffrey Chaucer. But other than the title, there's no resemblance to that piece of work whatsoever, apart from the characters Peter the Pardoner and Simon the Summoner, uh, Paul Bettany as Geoffrey Chaucer, is a total delight in this movie. I'm so glad that they cast him because he is perfect, but a completely fictional delight. Uh, Bettany didn't read any of Chaucer's work before getting involved, um, as Brian Helgen, as I said, never wanted a historically accurate portrayal and instead based his performance on the CEO of WWE, Vince McMahon. I hope I said that right. Um... His work as Ulrich von Lichtenstein's Herald is complete and utter genius, even though a lot of the crowd didn't understand a word because, as I said, they didn't speak English, so they had to be encouraged to respond. I feel like I've just gone through a hell of a lot of information, <laughs> but there's still there's still more to go through. So, as I mentioned earlier, this movie is not really historically accurate. Um, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, But Queen, David Bowie and Thin Lizzy were not alive during the medieval period. So if you need to take a moment, please do. Okay, so we've taken a moment. (laughs) Um, So basically, the music is very anachronistic. It's not from the time period at all, uh, clearly. But Brian Helgeland never wanted it to be. He wanted to have that feeling of a modern sporting arena transitioned to a medieval jousting arena um it, it's also worth noting as well that a, a traditional symphonic score in this movie would also not be accurate because there were no symphonies during the 14th century um and from what i can find online this movie is set around and about the 1370s um i don't believe the movie actually dates itself but if i'm wrong then I clearly wasn't paying attention. But I think it's around the 1370s. Um, Carter Burwell did the music. Uh, he actually mentions on his website how difficult it was to transition from the basic kind of medieval court melody, such as the one William and Jocelyn danced to, which I just think is one of the most perfect dance scenes in the whole of Hollywood history, I have to say, uh, because it then segues into David Bowie's golden years, Um which is such a great song um he, Carter Burwell mentions that the scene was filmed at an arbitrary tempo which started slow and then speeds up, and he then matched that tempo whilst also finding a credible way to go from like a formal and restrained medieval dance um through to golden years uh David Bowie himself even dropped by to hear the finished product uh not only is the movie playing, We Will Rock You at the start, but obviously the crowd are joining in as well. Uh, they're doing the wave, they're eating turkey legs, they're waving banners in support of their favourite night. It is essentially a modern sport movie that's just set during medieval times. That's, that's basically how you need to think of it. If you think that you're going into a historically accurate medieval movie you just you just not like you are not. you're never going to enjoy it if you think that it's it's so enjoyable because it's so wacky (laughs) it's just so crazy I think that's why I love it so much um and it kind of goes without saying as well like hello uh so the movie like totally uses 2000s lingo uh but like it mixes it with some ancient sounding words such as behold and nay. Uh, but to be honest, a historically accurate script would probably need subtitles. So I don't mind that they use 2000s lingo. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet can get away with it because it's Shakespeare. And because everyone knows the story of Romeo and Juliet. Everyone has read Romeo and Juliet at school or at college or at uni or throughout their life. Romeo and Juliet is one of those texts that... Everyone kind of understands Romeo and Juliet. So we've talked about the movie not being particularly historically accurate. Um, It's worth mentioning as well that Jocelyn, particularly, um, as a noble church-going young woman, um, she would probably have been quite reserved and shy. Um, She would certainly not be allowed to speak to a man. Um, It's highly likely that she would be in the charge of her father. Um, and Count Adamar even mentions that he's going to be asking her father for her hand in marriage Um, and during those times women were oppressed and while Kate who who is a widowed commoner might be able to forge excuse the pun a living as an independent blacksmith and be able to speak her mind without fear of repercussion Jocelyn in the real medieval times would probably not Um, again that's one of the reasons why I quite like this movie because I find that the character of Jocelyn is bit more spunky she's not given a great deal to do to be fair other than you know look beautiful in the distance and for William to admire but I kind of don't really care I just really enjoy the movie so basically what I'm saying is overall it's more or less completely historically inaccurate but it's kind of perfect at being completely historically inaccurate um as I mentioned there are some things that does get right so I think it's important to mention what it gets right Um, so the social status between commoners and the noble class were on the most part depicted correctly and that the peasant folk were standing room um, and in low class seating and the upper classes were elevated up to see the whole arena uh, which is more or less exactly the same in modern sports venues um, with the cheap and the expensive seats Um, Ulrich von Lichtenstein was not made up for the movie he was a real person He was a poet of the Middle Ages in the 13th century and he was a genuine knight. He started out as a squire to Margrave Henry of Istria. He was knighted by the Babenberg Duke Leopold VI of Austria in 1222. Sir Ulrich was an author of noted works about how knights and nobles could lead more virtuous lives. Also real was Edward the Black Prince. Um, who was also loved and respected as much as he is in this movie. And another thing that it gets quite right is the fact that tournament competitors in jousting, they were often required to provide up to four generations of nobility in order to compete. Uh, Obviously, jousting was a sport reserved for knights and kings and it was to showcase their strength, skill and courage. Right, over to the obligatory Keanu reference for this week. This is something that I like to do. I like to try and uh, get Keanu Reeves involved in this podcast because I can't get him involved in person. Um, so I try to make a connection between him and the movie that I'm featuring. Um, and talking of knights, uh, Keanu Reeves has been reportedly in talks with Marvel Studios to take on the role of the character Moon Knight. Um, so it's kind of nightly. Uh, I'm taking it as a connection um he's yet to become an actual knight though going on to financials and obviously this is something that i i really wanted to speak about i mentioned earlier about it went up against the mummy returns um a knight's tale cost 65 million dollars some section of the internet claim it's 40 to 41 million so i'm gonna go with the box office mojo budget because i kind of feel like that would be correct um but it could be either um it ended up making a total of $117.5 million worldwide. And as I said, it faced off against The Mummy Returns. So The Mummy Returns came out the previous week in 2001 and was, of course, a massive hit. A Night's Tale opened second to The Mummy Returns in its opening weekend, taking $17 million, as opposed to The Mummy Returns, which took $32.2 million, although its sales were down nearly 53% from its record-breaking at the time, First Weekend. Its release was also marred by a critic called David Manning, who praised the movie, and specifically Heath Ledger, as this year's hottest new star. But why would that adversely affect the movie, if the critic liked it so much, you ask? Well, David Manning, or Dave Manning as he was sometimes known, did not exist. It was all a hoax. He was made up. The Ridgefield Press, a small Connecticut paper that he was attributed to, had never heard of him. Manning provided bountiful praise for six films released under Sony's Columbia Pictures label, including The Patriot, Vertical Limit, Hollow Man, The Forsaken, and The Animal, as well as A Night's Tale, which all turned out to be fake. David Manning was apparently concocted by an unidentified Sony employee, using the name of a friend, and then fictional reviews were attributed to him for all of Sony's latest releases. Um, So basically, he wasn't real, uh, and it was all made up. The creation of David Manning turned out to be a thorn in Sony's side, as in 2004, two cinema-goers, Omar Rezek and Anne Belknap, filed a class-action lawsuit against Sony, specifically claiming that Manning's praise of A Knight's Tale was intentional and systematic deception of consumers. That claim was rejected by the court, but they did concur it was false advertising and as a result of an out-of-court settlement, Sony had to refund $5 to all of those who had since joined the lawsuit, which was a total payout of $1.5 million. They also had to pay a fine to the state of Connecticut as well for $325,000. So, if you're thinking of making up a critic to promote your latest venture, maybe don't. Speaking of which, here's Regina Philangi to tell you what she thinks of Verbal Diorama. It's the greatest podcast ever made. Oh, thank you, Regina. Anyway, <laughs> the fact that David Manning's fake reviews were often used in place of genuine critics' positive reviews is additionally baffling. Not to mention the fact that Sony also purportedly used company employees to pose as audience members in commercials promoting their movies. So the whole experience of A Knight's Tale's release in 2001 left a severely bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths, despite the film being a sweet, if not completely deserving of critical praise, but fun movie. Heath Ledger passed away in 2008 from a drug overdose. He was just 28 years old. He left behind a two-year-old daughter whom he shared with actress Michelle Williams. His roles in Brokeback Mountain and The Dark Knight were lauded and rightly so. I think what he does in both movies and in all his movies really was just the tip of the iceberg of his talent as an actor. Um, He also really wanted to become a director at one point as well. He won posthumous Oscar, Golden Globe and BAFTA awards for Best Supporting Actor for his role as the Joker in The Dark Knight. His final film was Terry Gilliam's The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, a role he was in the middle of filming when he died suddenly. Rather than fully recast the role, the remaining filming was completed by Johnny Depp, Jude Law and Colin Farrell, playing the character Tony Shepard, physically transforming between dream worlds. It goes without saying that The Dark Knight and The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, they were both posthumously released and both were dedicated to Heath Ledger. I still feel so incredibly sad when I think of Heath Ledger and I think of what he could have done had the world not lost him so early on in his life. I think he would be the sort of actor that we would just be raving about nowadays. Um, It's so incredibly sad. Um, that he's no longer with us in all honesty um, but it's so wonderful really that we have movies like A Knight's Tale to remember him by um, and most importantly for his daughter um, who would be 15 now for her to have something to remember her father by is is wonderful really um, and it's just so incredibly sad that a young girl is without a father, and we are all without the light that Heath Ledger provided. Right. Okay, I'm gonna liven up a little bit now because I'm gonna go over to social media thoughts. Um and there was loads for a night's tale, which is lovely. I love to get loads. Um so we'll have to go through them quite promptly, I think. Um so over on Twitter we have Dave from Not For The Dinner Table at NFTDT said On paper I hated this film and avoided it for a long time but when I finally got around to watching it I saw that it was a wonderful story set in the medieval landscape more renaissance fair that I love At Film Busters Paul said I grew up watching A Night's Tale with my sister we loved it and always watched it so it will always have my heart I'll never forget the guy playing We Will Rock You guitar solo with a trumpet It's true. There is a guy who plays the We Will Rock You guitar solo with a trumpet. Um, You will never find that in any other medieval movie. At Beyond the Box Set said, Delightful. The kind of silly and pretentious fun we could use a lot more of. Ledger is so charismatic in it too. At Laura Horsefall said, For years I thought it looked dumb. When I finally caught it on cable, I was very pleasantly surprised to find it whimsical and buoyant, even more so on repeated viewings. I consider it a low-key pop film classic. At Git Shitty said, Everyone in this movie is hot and giving vibrant performances. It's one of the best sports movies, period. Plus that change your stars line and the payoff to it. Perfection. Low-key classic is right at waffles the magic said absolutely love this film it's funny romantic and an all-round good time moving over to instagram at black Case diaries podcast said and this is marcy by the way said i really enjoyed it but it's been a while since i've seen it i just saw a list where someone was pulling down all the dance scenes they thought were bad in movies and the dance in a night's tale was on there so i'll definitely have to give it another watch the dance in a night's tale is iconic I would happily recreate that. If anyone wants to recreate that with me, let me know, I'm there. At Contrarian Prime said, It always surprises me that this movie isn't better regarded. It's a hell of a crowd pleaser. Very funny, with exciting action scenes and a lot of heart. I love the sequence where they all pitch in to write the love letter. Also, most people's intro to the genius of Paul Bettany. At Book of Lies podcast said, Watch this a few nights ago with the family. I enjoy this movie, the music choices are great, and who doesn't love organised dancing? And finally, over on Facebook, we have Andy. He said... This movie comes at an odd time for many involved, including a few years after the director Brian Helgeland won an Oscar for co-writing LA Confidential, and a few years before Heath Ledger shows us what a tremendous actor he could be. Not a favourite of mine, but definitely one to sit and watch on TV during a rainy Saturday. And I really think that all of those comments, just sum up this movie perfectly... It's not a perfect movie. It's not supposed to be a perfect movie. It's a crowd pleaser. We are the crowd in that jousting arena. We are the ones that are holding up placards, stating how much we love these actors, because they're all great. Um, and we are the ones that are chanting along with the music, stomping our feet. And it, it just it's genuinely just such a good time. I mentioned at the end of A League of Their Own that I ended up choosing this movie because I was moving house and i had to obviously move my dvds and i found that i owned this movie and i completely forgot that i owned it and i'll admit you know that was a bit of a shock to me that i owned a knight's tale uh but now that i know that i've got it i don't think that i stole it off someone by the way i I think i genuinely did buy it but it was a long time ago um but i'm so happy that i own this movie because now i can see it like constantly and that's just brilliant um that's the problem when you have quite a lot of dvds and blu-rays sometimes you do forget stuff that you own it was never intentional but i just think it's just so much fun and it's got queen it's got queen on the soundtrack it's got david bowie on the soundtrack it's just it's just a joy it's just a genuine joy to watch Thank you for listening to this episode. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on A Knight's Tale, for which, if you haven't seen it, um, I don't think I've actually really spoiled it at all in what I've said because I haven't really commented on the plot at all much. Um, So obviously, if you haven't, then you should definitely watch it for all the anachronistic glory it beholds. If you have watched it, uh, watch it again because it's really good fun. Um, Next episode. Okay. So, again, there's a reason behind this so i'm going to go into it in a little bit but i recently guessed on another podcast um and that was something that had been in the pipeline since way back in july last year uh we agreed we were going to cover some musicals and i chose two musicals to cover um and one of them was chicago um and the other one was this um i'd already scheduled this episode in basically things happen they decided to go on a bit of our hiatus so I just assumed that the episode wasn't going to happen I scheduled in this episode and then after I put it in my schedule and I was like yes I'm definitely going to do it they came back to me and they were like we're ready to record the collaboration so if you've listened to that episode of show me the podcast with the wonderful Harry and Lorraine which you should have done by the way um, then you'll know how much I love Little Shop of Horrors um, so much show that I'm going to be talking about it on this podcast next week and honestly it's kind of great for me because I obviously talked about it in a little bit of detail um on their podcast but I can really go into some immense detail on Little Shop of Horrors on the songs on the settings and the glorious fantastic puppet work on offer um I can't promise that I won't sing um Little Shop of Horrors is a veritable smorgasbord of delights and it's one of my favourite musicals. And so the next episode, which is episode number 45, will be on the 1986 musical Little Shop of Horrors. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on Titan A.E., Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, speed aladdin 1992 and 2019 pirates of the caribbean the curse of the black pearl x-men dark phoenix charlie's angels 2000 the mummy 1999 the matrix john carter willow the iron giant scott pilgrim vs. the world logan edge of tomorrow legally blonde buffy the vampire slayer season 4 episode 10 hush mystery men passengers stardust constantine arthur christmas akira Kubo and the Two Strings, The Incredibles, The Lego Movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Howl's Moving Castle, My Neighbour Totoro, Spirited Away, Treasure Planet, Clueless, Hellboy 2004, Hellboy 2 The Golden Army, Bridesmaids, Tremors, The John Wick Trilogy, and A League of Their Own. (laughs) And I really actually tried to space those out because normally I say them really fast. Um, I tried to keep a space this time round. Um, they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. It came to my attention recently that Google Podcasts was not showing my podcast. Um, that has now been resolved. So if you are a Google Podcasts listener, um, which to be fair, if you are a Google Podcast listener, you're probably not listening because it was broken before, but it is now resolved. So you can now get the podcast in Google Podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can sign up to support the show at patreon.com slash Verbal Diorama from $2 a month. And you can get some fab perks such as access to the upcoming schedule, which was just released for June to patrons and Even if I do so to myself, it's banging. Uh, You also get a shout out on the next episode recorded after you sign up and also get a shout out on Twitter. And you also get episodes slightly earlier than everyone else. So a massive thank you to uh, Verbal Diorama patrons, Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason and Kristen. Thank you for supporting the podcast. If you want to get in touch with me directly, you can email me, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can just say hello to me. You can give me some feedback on the podcast or you can suggest stuff if you want. Um, My website is verbaldiorama.com. You can also get in touch with me on there if you want to. You want to support the show, but you can't do so financially. um, What you can do is you can go on to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser um, and you can leave a five-star rating and review that will be super beneficial because apparently it helps other listeners find the podcast if it's got loads of five-star reviews. So if you can't support the show financially, please consider supporting the show by giving a five-star rating and a review. And finally, as I always say, I have a column over at Film Stories magazine. The magazine is going to press, I believe, Uh, very shortly so the next issue of the magazine will be available soon um it's an independent british movie magazine um please continue to support it um independent publications really do need your support you can go to their website filmstories.co.uk magazine and you can purchase one-off copies or you can subscribe and i am still doing little bits for film stories online So I recommend a fellow British movie podcast each week. Um, I am now up to, I believe, the 45th of that, I think, or 46th. So, yeah, I'm almost in sync, actually, between my podcast episodes and my recommendations, which is quite cool. And I also update the weekly iPlayer list of movies that are available for free here in the UK, courtesy of the BBC. And finally, finally, finally... I didn't want this episode to finish on a downer and I didn't want to finish it by talking about Heath Ledger um, or an obituary for Heath Ledger because I don't think this movie deserves that Um, because I think ultimately this movie is about one thing really and that's the question, can a man change his stars? And the answer is anyone can if they really want it. Bye. Bye
0: you of... should know